And then diving into measuring from first click standpoint and elite ROI standpoint to understand which campaigns or ads are best driving that initial click that we talked about, and then which ones are driving a better lead form submits that then become buyers. What is really the relationship between the clicks to leads, to sales, to repeat sales, and knowing what your conversion rates are, what your optimal costs are, and that's super important to know your metrics. Curious to know what industry-leading marketers are looking to achieve in the ever-evolving digital landscape? The How Agencies Thrive podcast by StackAdapt is dedicated to helping the new breed of forward-thinking, savvy, lean, and mean marketers win in the rapidly evolving digital landscape. Time to thrive. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. My name is Matt Everett. I'm the host of the How Agencies Thrive podcast, and I'm also the Education and Development Manager at StackAdapt. Today, I'm joined by Dennis Melnick from JC and Co. Growth Accelerants to talk about the very exciting topic of how marketers can more effectively drive the first click with their creatives. Dennis, you've been a longtime friend of StackAdapt, and it's great to have you on the episode today. Uh, before we get started with the bulk of the content, though, I'm I'm wondering if you could help our listeners get a little bit of a background on you, and you know, get an understanding of your experience and areas of expertise within the digital advertising space. Hey, Matt, for sure. Thank you for having me. Um, it's my first ever podcast, so I should say I'm a bit nervous, but uh, let's try it out. Um, so, a few things on me. I like to say that I've started. I've started from the right hand side back in 2011. So um, myself and Vitaly, who is the co-founder of StackAdapt, were actually colleagues at an agency called AdParlor. And this was my first gig out of university. I knew nothing about Facebook. I don't think I even used it, but I knew there was something going on on Facebook where people advertise on the right-hand side with those little, I think it was 100 by 100 pixel little images. And so I joined the agency um, knowing very little about the the metrics and how to run ads, but they basically taught me everything. And so Vitaly was one of my colleagues, as I said, and a few years later, he he left and he said he was going to do something else. And I think I heard about the word programmatic from him. He was the fir- first person that I've heard the word programmatic from. But anyways, um, back to just uh, things that I that I do. And currently I'm at uh, JC and Com, head of performance and uh, analytics. Um, we work with D2C e-commerce brands primarily who use Shopify platform, but not necessarily, but most of them are. Uh, we're a Shopify Plus uh, partner. We're also a Klaviyo Gold um, partner. And we basically help companies with three main pillars um, of execution and growth. So we work on a platform side. So we help them uh, with the website, the setup, the configurations of all the different apps, Make sure the the site is great on mobile, that it works well, it's fast, responsive, and and so on. And then the uh, the second pillar is email, lead gen, uh, SMS, uh, and then the third one is uh, paid media. And so those are the three main pillars that we focus on, and we kind of serve as a um, an agency arm slash uh, consultants um, in the space. So it's very 
partnership-based um, relationship that we have with our clients. So we're not very traditional agency model in that sense. Um, but we, we take on a lot of execution, not only uh, consulting, advising, but actually executing. And so I lead all the paid side of things, plus a bit of creative. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting too. That's actually a new piece of information on the, uh, I guess, the history of Stack Adapt and and where you know Vitaly <laughs> was before, beforehand. It's it, it's cool to hear about that, but it's also um, you said 2011. I mean, geez, that's that's been what 10 years to see kind of the progression of of programmatic to being this you know media giant that it is now. So it's probably been kind of interesting to watch uh, watch play out in the last 10 years. So. But yeah, you know, we're we're really happy to have you on the episode and you and I were talking a, a couple of weeks ago and I think we landed on the fact that uh, you had come to the Stack Adapt office, you know, pre-pandemic in 2019 and and I got a chance to meet you in person then. But, you know, here we are on on today's episode and and with today's topic, you know, we're going to be talking about what it takes to drive that first click for advertisers and sort of in sequence of the podcast we in our in our previous episode that we did on cannabis advertising this actually came up quite a bit to talk about you know how do we build creatives that are eye catching and you know ones that are compelling speak to your larger brand and and this really gets me thinking about you know what that psychology is behind building an impactful creative that not only speaks to your brand but causes users to really opt into the service or product that you're offering and then inevitably convert because most of the time that's the goal that a lot of advertisers are going off to. So with that said, you know, I, I do have a number of questions I've prepared for today, but but I can already tell the conversation's gonna gonna get really interesting and I'm I'm very excited to get into it. And uh, with with the focus being on, you know, talking about things like measurement, attribution, best practices, and as always, unlocking as many insights as possible to help our listeners on the podcast take away key strategies that they can apply to their upcoming campaigns and, and truly thrive. So, you know, again, very excited to have you on the episode. And I think a, a great starting place here would be the the first question that I had prepared was this notion of of pain points. I think that's always a, a starting point. And, you know, there's two sides of the coin. When we talk about pain points, we talk about, you know, number one, the pain points that are experienced by the advertisers themselves when they're, you know, trying to figure out the best way to build these creatives that are going to be eye-catching. But further to that, and number two is, you know, how advertisers, once they've, you know, once they've cracked the code, how they can best address the pain points of the audience in that creative to start to get some buy-in. So um, I, I'd love to to get your initial thoughts on this, and then we can take the conversation from there. Yeah, sounds good. So I'll start with the first one, um, pain points um, by advertisers. Uh, so I think there's at least three major ones, um, which I think a lot of listeners could probably attest to. And I think the first one is speed. Um, speed in terms of how fast can we move from the idea sparked by either somebody's gut feeling or somebody is looking at data and they think that we need to move quicker with this type of creative, with this type of approach, with this type of concept. So speed is number one. Um, the second one is the the need to have variety of messaging angles. 
probably done uh, towards two to three main um, customer segments that are identified by the brand or advertiser. And there's also a multiplication of uh, consumer journey stages that you want to properly funnel those messages to. And third one is you also want to test variety of formats and platforms and channels. So maybe the platforms and channels is also like another, you know, a multiplier that gets added to the complexity of this. But I think the speed, the variety of messages and variety of variety of journey stages and then variety of formats are the three main ones. Um, but it, let's also not forget about just the general objectives of what those creatives should be doing because I feel like this is a main, you know, complication sort of uh, with creatives is that I see that a lot more um, brands and people when they when they create something they try to squeeze so many things into one and they try to really make sure that this creative works as effectively as possible meaning like it yields positive return on ad spend or you know it it not only drives the clicks and not only drives the views but also drives the sales and and lead form you know fill outs and so it's it's also that um complexity of not only identifying the objectives the stages the formats but also you know, the different angles of messaging. And that's something that we can kind of talk about um, in a few moments, I think, um, because that's addressing the question number two, which is what do you, what, like, I think you asked, like, how, you know, advertisers can best address the pain points of their audience. So, like, how do yeah. they actually do it? I, I always think of it as, like, I try to simplify things and I always, you know, try to draw stuff on paper or using some kind of like mind mapping tools and i always think of uh of it as a matrix i think you start with two three key segments um and by segments i mean not only your just general concept of these are the people in certain age group they have a certain household and like income and they have like kids or no kids but you kind of think of segments as what are those people's main pain points and how can you maybe put them together and bundle them. And then the pain points are also um, could be explained as, uh, you know, their pain point can be functional, but there are also other pain points can be emotional. There could be status related pain points that you're trying to solve. You can, a lot of it is lifestyle specific and a lot of brands say, well, we're like a lifestyle brand, but what really is the lifestyle brand? Like what real pain point is it solving? Is it status, prestige, you know, feelings off something. And I like to think of pain points as also like, what do you want, you know, your segment to feel at the end of the day when they use the product? Like, what is the feeling that you want to elicit? And then for uh, for the pains, you also have some like things that are going to like drive the gain for them. Like you're going to solve the pain, but you also have to, you know, generate certain gain for them when they use a product, service, whatever it is. And you want to be able to communicate that somehow. Um, and then finally, you move on to a segment-specific ideal state of solution or like, you know, what are the current blockers for them to have the outcome that they want that they cannot get with the other alternatives? Because there's probably millions of other alternatives. Some are, you know, cheaper. 
some are costlier, but there's no lack of options in the world today. So you also have to keep in mind, like what is really preventing them from obtaining this ideal state of um, outcome um, with other solutions. So that's like what I started the matrix with is the two, three key segments. And you really flesh out them by pain points, the gain drivers and like the some ideal state of solution plus blockers, because you're going to need to be addressing all of these buckets in either your creative, um, but most likely in your creative and also in your offering and what you're going to show on the landing page is what you're going to talk about in the emails. Because without that, I don't think you can, you know, uh, convert people into buyers and convert them into loyal buyers and convert them into uh, somebody who will be referring your business to somebody else. Once you complete the list of things that, you know, need to be shown to people, you then start thinking of, well, how are you going to route them through all of those things? What are the more important ones to show first, to talk about first? What are the least important ones to show first? What is the most important one in the consideration stage when they're choosing something versus what is it that you really need to show to close them off, like to get them into a trial stage, you know, uh, or to retain them after? So if you're talking about retention problem. And then, yeah, like that is the matrix at the start, but um, there's always another one that's up top, uh, which a lot of performance brands and, and smaller brands, I think, always have um, as a cloud. They'll be thinking about, well, how do we also generate awareness if we're not as well known? And what is that real brand intro um, going to look like? What is that emotional connection? However, from just purely tactical standpoint most of the brands like we work with at jc and co uh, and most of the brands that i worked in the past uh, they all want to kind of jump straight to performance element to conversion they don't want to have their dollars going toward reach objectives or like even video view objectives or anything like super shallow super high up top like they want to jump right into measurable outcomes and basically they want to have their typical path length to conversion be really shrunk down to as little uh, touch points as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a, there's a lot that was said there. And I think that one of the big things you touched upon was the idea of really knowing your audience and having that kind of inform what your strategy is. Because like with anything that we do in marketing, it's it's not random. It's it's very calculated. And the more we know about the audience, the more we know about what their pain points are, the easier it becomes for a brand to sort of have their message resonate with that audience. And this kind of brings us to the second question that I had for you today was really talking about that relationship between the audiences that we're targeting and the creatives that we produce. And you know, is it kind of this symbiotic relationship between the two where one sort of informs the other where, you know, without our audiences, our creatives don't have a strong message and vice versa, you know, which one would you say kind of impacts, uh, impacts that relationship in a greater way? Is it more the audiences or the creatives that need to kind of come first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I would say the main, um, aspect here is that can you actually properly assign and sort of reward the creative for the function it's supposed to perform in the first place because as i said there's and i'm purely talking from my observations and actually working with very creative 
minds and creative directors. I'm not talking about all of this, uh, pretending that I know a lot about, you know, creative direction or like creativity in general. Uh, this, I, I'm purely in a different function, but, um, what I always try to think is like, well, we can manipulate what people see, how they see it. What do we buy media, you know, in order to have what kind of response and we kind of know how to measure it, but knowing what, what and how we're going to reward the creative for, again, for the outcome that is the most important one is um, fundamental. So that's, that should be done in the first place. And I give you an example, like, should we expect, let's say, an intro hero video or a carousel or you know, a GIF to drive massive sales and have a positive return on ad spend? Should we evaluate those on how well they drive the click to site or, you know, how, as we call, thumb stopping they are? Like, how do you um, put a value towards that and how do you actually measure that, um, you know, properly? Because the journey really starts there from them seeing these things and clicking on them. And then later on, we need to be able to accurately measure how things that fall in place after, such as, you know, somebody becoming a lead, they subscribing to a newsletter, they opting into a contest. And then in after certain amount of touch points and other uh, interactions with some other content and messages that we probably get them with in different channels, how do we drive the sale? But like, we need to know where they started from. And we also need to know how well, how much we paid for that starting position, for the starting event, for the starting response, but then also be able to measure across all the other touch points that are going to happen and measure it accurately in order to say, yeah, you know, like this, this creative that we just made for this audience did work, but it did work for this. It maybe worked for, them getting to a lead stage and we're going to reward them by maybe doing more of the similar creative, but optimizing toward lead form submit or something, but it didn't work for us closing the sales. So maybe we have to rethink something, or maybe we just have to, you know, properly change the creative and messaging in order to get more sales. But maybe that's not even the goal. Maybe the goal is to drive them to an opt-in stage. And then from that point, emails take off and like retargeting ads take off. The other part I want to touch on is um, the problem is that many scrappy businesses and in the startups and those who are on a short budget, they do really try to shorten those paths to conversion. And that's they try to jam kind of too much into one piece of content usually. And um, the idea is that it performs and produces instant results. Yes, it, it, it's it's kind of evident to and anybody can check it on their end. Like, what's the sale velocity is for many brands? Like, sixty to seventy percent of transactions occur, you know, between probably one to two days. But sometimes we kind of think of like, okay, most of them are going to close within a week. It all really depends, but I'm just really like making it a just a case for most of like e-com brands to sell, you know, things that are fairly understandable it doesn't take a long time to educate a client uh, a customer on all the benefits and also the you know the price tag is not high enough for them to be thinking for months whether they want to buy this or not but it also doesn't mean that if 
we're converting everybody within two days. It doesn't mean there's only one touch point and that everybody converts off of one click. And that's why it's important to understand that you're creative, like you are creating a path to conversions and that therefore you need to show different um, aspects of it. You need to show different aspects of um, your proposition at different stages. And then you're probably going to have to do it multiple times and pay for that click to have people return to the site again, or maybe opt in on the second click into a form after they saw a video that you introduced the brand with. But you cannot really squeeze all of those expectations um, and performance objectives into a single creative, which I think kind of happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's all that's all really good, and I mean. One thing that that I did want to touch upon, and and I think we we kind of had a little bit of it in in some of the earlier questions, but you know, before when you and I chatted leading up to the podcast, you talked about the value of experimentation, and you know, kind of once we've cracked the code on the on the creatives at first, you know, experimenting and figuring out which ones are going to work, which ones are going to resonate. That's a very important part of the process, and. Uh, one thing that that you did say to me before that really resonated was the notion of kind of what a good A/B test looks like, and often the A/B test that we see with creatives, it's it's really just an aesthetic thing. Okay, do we change the color of this button? Do we add a slide or whatever? It's you know what's going to resonate more, but it, it kind of goes a little bit deeper than that. And I, I'd like to know from you, with you know, with your experience with creatives, you know, how do we test? variable messaging and moreover how do we prioritize the messaging that's going to drive that initial click in the best way possible yeah like the notion of ab tests and experimentation and like what really makes up an experiment like what makes up a true experiment um i think it's um a bit misinterpreted or maybe misunderstood by a lot yeah like putting a, a white background versus black background um, images um, in a single like ad set and showing it to a, kind of the same audience or audience that gets split. And if you do like a proper A-B test and really want to do a scientific lift on it, I don't think that was what really what people should be focusing on, like their efforts. I think the A, like the angles have to be really different and I think there's like at least seven buckets of content, which I can kind of identify uh, that makes sense to experiment with and like to, Absolutely. to just create in the first place. Like there's like big creative buckets of, you know, you need to have a spokesperson video, like, you know, treat it as you like, but it's just like, what is going to be the spokesperson video? You can have like, you know, a celebrity talking about, you know, your product, you can also have a founder talking and introducing a brand. You can also have one of the, you know, maybe best customers talking about your product or showing it. But like when they get on the camera and they talk about it and they say, these are the reasons, this is why, this is, you know, why I partnered, this is why I chose it, this is why I tried it. That's kind of counts as like spokesperson videos in, in our view. Um, the second one is a lifestyle, you know, demo. So you want to appeal to, you know, having some affinity to people's lifestyles and be like, okay, I can kind of recognize that this model or this person using this product 
in a certain setting, in a certain use case. Like that is what I also do so I can relate to it. So that's number two. Um, the third one is product in use, like demo. Um, like actually simplifying it and showing how do you actually use it? Like, what do you actually do with it? What does it actually make you, you know, make you better with? Like, do you run faster by using these shoes? Do you, are you able to like, I don't know, um, fix your like health problems? Are you able to make, you know, food faster, eat better? Like just actual product in use demo. Uh, and then again, I also think the video is the best way to do it because motion is kind of emotion. <laughs> so that motion will drive the emotion. And I think that's key. Unboxing is super popular piece. Uh, and the reason why unboxing has to be done, I think, is like it builds the trust that, hey, like, in fact, you we are a legit company. You can order from us and you will get the actual product. Um in your house and this is what it's going to look like and a lot of the times um a lot of the you know ddc brands these days they actually put a lot of effort into making unboxing very special they throw in all these cool goodies and um there's been a lot of experiences recently that i've had with brands that sell you know sportswear that is not nike um, but they do a much better job than the nikes of the world do and they put a lot of effort in unboxing i think recording that and showing it to a potential audience when you advertise is very important because it ticks off that okay confidence done okay i'm confident and i'm, I'm excited to be in that position because there's also a packed with emotions when you unbox it case study um so a lot of products um have a lot of um like you know they claim a lot of outcomes that are gonna you know be um that you're gonna be able to experience um by using it and i think a lot of the times it's it's just a claim you know written as a caption in ad which is which is fine but I think anytime you can show it the proof um, and you show the functional you know, benefit, you can show the actual solution and you can show how it fixes something, you can show how it removes something, how it protects something. And you actually find a very maybe simple way to do it. And you don't have to be super creative, but you actually show it to people that it can be done and you know that it actually works a certain way that you claim it to work. I think it builds trust again, and it's all about that trust. Um, social proof, and I think finally is the, the reasons why. The social proof is common. Like, you know, there's many ways to build that social proof, the five-star reviews, like, you know, populating the content from people, putting it in your feed. You know, you can tag, um, you know, content creators and say, like, can we use your stuff? So, like, social proof is more of, like, you know, when they're just ready to convert and they need to be you know sure that you're not going to take their money and run away and they want to see other people who've done similar behavior which is they bought from you we kind of rely on the social proof as more of a conversion um, element at the bottom funnel of our um, consumer journey um, and the reasons why content piece is like super simplified way of here's my elevator pitch here's the three reasons why you need to buy it and i think a lot of brands, they go in these creative distances of, hey, we're doing it this way, we're doing it this way. But like nobody just does it in like a simple way of like a 15 second video or like a carousel, you know, be like, 
here are the three reasons why you need to buy from us. And like reason why, reason two, reason three. Yeah, I doing a lot of video content, I, I think about that a lot because you really don't have that much time as a brand to make a first impression. Yeah. And as you said, yeah, and it's very hard. I mean, even if you have like 15 seconds, you have to say everything that needs to be said. And, and with video, especially, I always, I always say to people, you know, you can say everything that you need to say in 10 seconds, and you can say absolutely nothing in 10 minutes. And Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of companies, what they do is they really kind of focus on on the flash of it all and say, oh, we're going to go on and on about how great we are, but we're going to kind of ignore that important messaging to the customer. Because at the end of the day, the only thing you have to do, well, maybe not the only thing that you have to do, but one of the most important things you have to do is you've got to resonate. You have to tap into something with your audience that they say, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I want to learn a little bit more. And then you can continue to give them information and get them down the funnel. But it's very hard. But I mean, there are brands out there that definitely do it right. And they understand mm-hmm. that, as you said, you know, with, with something like an unboxing, you know, they, consumers want proof that they're going to get what they're paying for. <laughs> they don't want to yeah. feel like they're being scammed online or anything like that. So it's very important to just be transparent as a brand. Um, I, I do have, before we head to the break, I, I had two kind of sub questions to this, but the, the one I'll, I'll, I'll ask you about is kind of return on ad spend. Cause I know that's one of the number one things that's on the minds of agencies mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, are we making the most effective use of our budgets um, with experimentation? in your creatives is that part of the equation for a favorable return on ad spend and making the most out of your budget um it is if the experimentation is done on the on a level where you are experimenting with something that is intended to convert people in the first place and you can say and you are applying let's say less touch or full funnel like impact you know return on ad spend model like if you're measuring it properly then yeah you can definitely go in and say well i i have these warm audiences or these people who opted in my list and i'm gonna show them and i'm gonna try to figure out what will really make them convert at this stage because you can do a social proof ad you can have an offer you can do an offer in a million ways you can have a you know a gift with purchase versus a you know a discount code versus you know buy one get one free or something like that so you have so many different ways of how you're going to convert people and what you actually going to generate as, as as far as the revenue because the conversion rate will be different and the aov will be different if you just simply do a social proof but you don't give a code that it, you know if a percentage if one percent or i don't know not probably not one percent because it's retargeting if four percent of people clicking on this ad convert at an AOV that doesn't require you to discount, then you're going to have a, you know, a return of ad spend measured as one, like, you know, one number. But if you are testing heavily the discount codes or the offers or, you know, gifting with purchase, your return on ad spend will be different. Your cost per acquisition probably going to be different and your expected conversion rate will probably going to be different. So it all comes down to, what are you measuring for that specific creative? What that specific creative is supposed to do? If it, we're moving up funnel and we're testing 
all of these seven categories or some of the seven categories of content that I, that I mentioned, you need to ask yourself, like, is it what I need to really measure here? Is it the return on ad spend that I need to measure? Or is it that I need to measure how far people are going to go in, um, you know, in the conversion funnel and how many of them will reach uh, at the cart stage? How many of them will reach um, an opt-in stage where they're going to have to submit their email? Because I think I would be more interesting in, in measuring that for those creatives that are more upper funnel versus really trying to figure out which ones of them convert people into a like, sale right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think on that note, I think this might be the, the perfect time for us to take a quick break. But, um, you know, Dennis, when, when we come back, I'd love to hear from you more about kind of these tangible strategies related to building creatives, as well as how you think that we can best measure and attribute success in this area of the funnel. So uh, we'll take a quick break and then we will be right back. You know your advertising should be multi-channel. So why isn't your ad platform? Stack Adapt offers multi-channel advertising solutions across native, display, video, connected TV, and audio. With access to all of the major exchanges and more than 55,000 publishers, as if that wasn't enough, StackAdapt is also the highest rated programmatic ad platform according to G2. It's time to elevate your digital ad campaigns. Request a demo at stackadapt.com. StackAdapt, how agencies thrive. Dennis, in this half of the episode, with everything mentioned before about audiences, targeting, experimentation, what do you think are some key strategies that marketers should be focusing on when it comes to achieving desirable campaign results. So talk about creative best practices, optimization, best practices, et cetera. Sure. Um, yeah, I think I'll run through some of the main elements of um, what we're doing at JCN Cole right now. Um, and then I'll touch on some of the areas that I've just experimented with in the past. I think the first one is um, starting with a model that projects desired business outcomes uh, when it relates to D2C brands or like e-commerce brands. So um, a model could look as simple as projections on traffic, conversion rates, costs you'll pay for media and average order values. And, and then also not forgetting about um, how much of it will be paid how much of it will be organic and how much of it will be through email. Um, email is pretty big for us. Um, not sure if it applies to everyone, but for most of the brands that we work with in the fashion industry, clothing, uh, subscription-based uh, businesses in the food, food and drinks um, industry, email is a big chunk um, of revenue. Um, and so we, we try to make our model work in a way that at some point we don't have to be continuously buying growth. We, we want to unlock the growth through other methods and email is one of them. So start with the model is number one. Um, second one um, is be ready to measure properly. And I'm not talking about just setting up and queuing your pixels or, you know, connecting lead forms to Clavio or setting up conversion goals and, you know, GA. 
I'm talking about your attribution and just the measurement practices and philosophies that you're going to have for your company. I, I don't know if I'm allowed, but I would love to shout out Wicked Reports and say that uh, we use them as a holistic measurement tool for many of our clients. Um, they added tremendous value to us being able to see things differently than what platforms are reporting. So they're really independent tool um, for attribution and measurement, and they have a very uh, distinct way of um, measuring things um, based on the first click, the opt-in, um, and the sale. So uh, with that, I think the second one is you need to find a solution that goes beyond just trusting in-platform measurement, um, you know, attribution models and stuff. Third, which we touched on, is uh, building segments and knowing who your customers are and defining them from, you know, pain, gain, sort of like their custom, like they're just day-to-day jobs that those people perform and desired outcomes they would have versus, you know, defining people by just demo income and household type. So um, segmentation exercise is pretty important. So you kind of know where to get those people, where, 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 where do they exist, what do they use, um, fourth one is filling in the creative package with those seven key, you know, creative buckets that I kind of mentioned, spokesperson, lifestyle demo, product and use, unboxing, case studies, um, social proof and reasons why to buy or reasons why to try us. The fifth is, uh, you know, don't be married to a typical Google, Facebook combo when you start costs are rising on those platforms. Tracking is becoming a bit of a mess. Um, unless, again, you use an independent measurement solution, which you know then opens your eyes to measuring Facebook and Google and any other a, a number of channels differently and in a more, um, I would say, more accurate way. But I'd say you need to be prepared to just have, you know, things move quickly between channels, platforms, you know, uh, campaigns, um, ad sets, and, and even creatives. So my advice would be to have your programmatic uh, set up with Stack It Up uh, as one of the solutions that you can uh, easily activate on it and, you know, have it um, in the mix. Pinterest, Snap, TikTok, any, anything that where you can drive it and do a bit of testing on without any limitations. I'd say it's good to have it on. And in case of, if you all recall, like what happened with Facebook when they were like pretty much down for a day, like, you know, if you have to move a certain amount of traffic and you have a projection for the day, a certain amount of volume needs to happen and you need to hit certain revenue from, you know, the targets are tight. You can't allow yourself to just sit without, you know, Facebook. For a day, so you have to shift quickly to other sources. So diversifying the platforms that you play on is important, and I think programmatic is um, definitely have to be in it um, because of how performance oriented it also is these days. Um, the sixth one is um, the notion of just optimizing for what you really care about. I have never been a fan of optimizing for clicks, traffic, objectives, or you know using like not even using awareness and reach um, for most of the brands that we work with. It's too far out of what you know, they count as a desirable outcome. But investing in lead gen as your top of funnel layer, something that we do a lot 
Um, but then everything after that moves um, down to website conversion events, you know, making sure we, we, we know which ones we pay for, make sure we know what the conversion expected conversion rates are. Um, but then again, like, you know, you get what you, you get what you basically ask the platforms to deliver to you. So if you're optimizing things for landing page views, you're going to get a bunch of landing page views, but don't really expect carts or initiate checkouts or sales from those um, campaigns and from those audiences. And then go back to measuring things holistically. So, um, you know, determining which channels work uh, from a, what we use as a full funnel impact um, attribution model that's available in Wicked Reports. And then diving uh, into measuring from first click standpoint and elite uh, ROI standpoint to understand which campaigns or ads are best driving that initial click that we talked about, and then which ones are driving a better lead form submits that then become buyers. Um, and you know what is really the relationship between the clicks to leads to sales to repeat sales, um, and knowing what your conversion rates are, what your optimal costs are, and that's very super important to know your metrics. Uh, and then I think final one that I would just close on on this list um, is like, you know, following the creative best practices. So all I would know um, is to say, <laughs> I think shifting the attention to video and animated assets rather than pumping out a million of polished images of product and model, I think that would be a smart way to go these days. And then also keeping the goals of your ads in mind at all time. I know what am I really trying to achieve here? Like what, you know, make, how do I make people pay attention and click through? Or do I want them just to admire my great photography and maybe remember the name of my brand, but do nothing really uh, with it. So like you need to weigh in on your expectations and like really decide what do you want the response to be? And what do you really, what are you really building the creative for? Not forgetting about the emotional connection, because I think we're still humans, despite the fact that we maybe don't go to the offices as often, but we, we, we still are driven by emotion. And so building for sound off environment, but keeping in mind the full plethora of senses that we can appeal to with, you know, sight, sound and motion. Um, and it's really difficult to achieve all of it with stills. That's why I think I always try to deprioritize statics and, you know, photography that's just like showing beautiful imagery. Um, stills are good to send reminders to keep your focus on the offer when you're really already aware or interested and showing desire and intent to convert, but not when you're really starting to engage with someone new. As I said before, I think motion is emotion. So those are probably going to be my eight points. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there, there's a lot there definitely for, for the listeners to take away. And, you know, as you mentioned, you gave us eight, eight, uh, eight points. So I think there's, uh, there's a lot there. And um, I did kind of want to end on this note. And this one's a little bit more speculative because um as far as i understand and as far as you and i had chatted before about this actually measuring what it takes to drive the first click that's that's a challenge in and of itself because that involves a ton of experimentation a ton of insights information you may not necessarily have at the beginning of the campaign and and you know you find that out later on but 
you know, what do you think the future looks like for measurement and attribution at this stage, you know, before your users click? You know, what does that measurement and attribution look like for these successful creatives? And how can, you know, advertisers get there even sooner to drive the first click more effectively? Yeah, that's the probably uh, the, one of the most difficult questions to answer. Um, because what I, I think the, the world where I play is it, it all kind of starts with a click. And I know that there's lots of schools of thought on, you know, how do you build a brand and the, the, do the impressions even matter? Like, how do you build like, this buying billboards on the road matter like you know this advertising different places matter so i don't think i'm educated enough or i'm an expert on that um front to you know say it matters or it doesn't but i do think that at the end of the day if we are not trying to win creative contests here or to win you know prizes that we can say that we made the most creative thing in the world and if we're really strictly talking about performance advertising i would say the only thing that matters is 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 what creative or a combination of them drove the initial visit to the site where at that point all of the data um is first party data and 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 i think that like I want to make it clear that like it is if we're talking strictly about like the performance elements of the journey because there there's a lot of elements that happen before that journey starts with how you build awareness PR you know like a lot of different activations and like um partnerships influencer work like I don't want to discredit any of that I just want to simply say that from a true measurement standpoint and like true validation of like what is my return on ad spend for performance brands i think your journey and your measurement really starts with a click and how much of creative thought gets put into initial batch of ads that people will see and gonna start responding on that that is a question for the the creative um folks but as far as i see and i observe and what we've had on when I worked on the abacus agency side and what we do at JC and co now the creative teams that are performance oriented and not um, winning the, the prizes of the creative world oriented type, they do listen to um, media people, to analytics people um, and they sit with them closely and they do invent creative packages that are, primarily driven to you know do performance work and and not the the beautiful photography that you know you know everybody admires but nobody clicks on so this is also changing and i think the whole measurement of creative will change as well because the two teams are now becoming one they they work and in, in tandem rather than one side buys the media and they look at data and they see horrible things or they see great things about creative and the creative team just lives in a bubble and they just output creative things um, that don't measure well. Um, 
I think that's changing. I think that's the most important part. And there could be a, a lot of education on one side and it could be a lot of education and, and sharing of best practices on the other side. And so <laughs> I don't know if it answers your question, Matt, but... <laughs> No, it it definitely did, and I think on on that note, I mean that's that's the perfect stopping place for for the episode. So, on behalf of myself, on behalf of our listeners, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this was the perfect way to close out the the twenty twenty one episodes on a strong note. And uh, to any marketers who are focusing on their creative strategy. Um, we hope that you took away some key insights from this episode that are going to help you succeed in your upcoming campaigns. So until then, this has been the How Agencies Thrive podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode today. If you like what you heard, it would mean a world to us if you do these three things. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you're listening to this and know someone who would find this episode valuable, please share it with them. And finally, please share it on LinkedIn. If you have questions or feedback or would love to learn how agencies or brands work with Stack it App, find us at www.stackitapp.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.